Join Dennis Seagrave for Den at Ten. Hello. I'm a bit later recording this this week. You won't realise that as it goes on the on the website when it's released. But yesterday Elaine was sat there trying to do something on her mobile phone and she suddenly said, we've got no internet. Oh, I'll check my phone. No, I can't get the Wi-Fi and the internet either. So I went upstairs just to have a look at the box of tricks in the corner of the workroom. And there was the router, and instead of having its four usual green lights, it had got three green lights and one red one flashing where the internet connection should be. So I rebooted it all, and it still didn't come up with the internet. Strange. So I thought I'll just see what we've got on the landline. When we had nothing on the landline. Uh. Now because we've been up to Scotland I'd used all my mobile data up so I couldn't use my phone for anything. So I couldn't do this talk and get it transferred over. Anyway, I persisted, and as I said previously, I used to manage the telecommunications in my former job. So it was down on hands and knees, tracing the, the cables, checking the connections, taking out the master socket and putting first the phone line in, nothing there, then the internet line in, nothing there. So I reconnected it all and put it all back as it is. Right. Looks like we'll have to phone EE in the morning. Report the problem and see what they say. Anyway, later in the evening I happened to go upstairs and I looked across as I went past the workroom and I thought, there's four lights on that router. So I went and had a closer look, and yes, the internet was back. So I tested it, and yes, we had got the internet. We could get onto the web. Quickly grabbed a phone. No. Still dead there. Can't get a line. No dial tone to ring out. So out of curiosity, we rang in to see what happened. Elaine got her mobile and rang the landline number. I think she said it was saying as uh, we were busy on the phone. <laughs> can't be, we can't get a line. Anyway, we carried on and the internet was working, it was still working this morning, but no phone line. 
Sorry, Lane phoned EE and tried to talk with them about the problem. And they immediately said, yes, there is a major fault somewhere on the network that will take quite some time to repair. Oh, what do you mean by quite some time? Now this was Monday morning. Uh, hopefully we'll get it done on Thursday, or by Thursday. Four days without the landline. Good job that most of us have now got a mobile phone as well. Even though people complain to me as I don't use mine enough, I have it switched off more than it's switched on. But I have it for my convenience. I'll put it on a couple of times a day just to check any messages, check any emails and contact people if I need to. Saves going upstairs and putting the laptop on and doing everything up there. Anyway, we await what will happen. But waiting for four days to get reconnected to the landline could have proved a problem. Fortunately, we've got enough backup that it now doesn't. I was looking through on the laptop the other day. We'd been up to Scotland. I was downloading the photographs that I'd taken. I was preparing ones with the steam train on to send to my grandson. And my daughter said, while you're at it, will you have a look at the ones from when they were all surfing in Newgale? in Wales. So I prepared all that and got it on a USB stick for them so that they could take it with them and plug it in next time I saw them. And while I was doing that I was looking through some of the older ones, some of the older photos that were on there and I came across some that I took in Paris a few years ago. Elaine had suggested that we went on a coach trip to Paris. It was only for, I think it was about four days. It wasn't a big, a big event. It was enjoyable. I'd never been to Paris before. Elaine had been a couple of times, but I'd never been. It was a strange journey in that we travelled down to Folkestone and we were put onto the train to take us through the Channel Tunnel. And we sat on the coach, inside a train, inside the tunnel. Then away we went, straight through, <laughs> out the other end, and made for Paris. I didn't realise how far it was from the end of the Channel Tunnel into Paris. It seemed a very, very long trip on the coach.
we had a couple of stops on the way, comfort breaks, and I suppose to a degree it was interesting travelling through the countryside, but I didn't realise that sitting on a coach for that length of time could be such hard work. But we got there, we got to a hotel, pretty much on the outskirts of Paris really, we weren't anywhere near the centre. So each day the coach turned up and took us into the different parts of Paris and dropped us off to have a wander around. I suppose we were lucky really on the one evening we were dropped off in the area around Notre Dame. Had a bite to eat in a cafe and had a wandered around the area. Actually travelled along the Boulevard Saint-Michel. I'd heard about it in the the song Where Do You Go To My Lovely with Peter Sarsted. I ain't got a clue what it was or where it was, but I've been along it now. Yes, interesting. We had a wander around. Elaine has always been a fan of the Paris Opera House, so we went and had a look at that, took some photos, went inside to have a look inside, strolled around the area outside the Louvre with the glass pyramids, walked through the Tuileries Gardens. Really good, really good. Saw the original bridge with all the locks fastened to the framework the lovers locks had a trip up and down the Seine on one of the battle mouches again going past Notre Dame we were looking that we saw it how it should be before it had the disastrous fire dropped off one morning close to the Eiffel Tower I stood there and I looked up at it now I have a problem with heights and I just looked at it and I thought not a chance not even up to the first level no way but there were people going up and down on ladders to get up there there are a set of steps that go up certainly as far as the first level I could see them no thank you not even in the lift Then on the final full day, we went out to Versailles, the huge palace complex on the outskirts of Paris. Most impressive. Big gates and a courtyard that you walk through to get to the entrance to the buildings, to go around the buildings. Now on the way in, we were accosted by several people trying to sell us models of the Eiffel Tower and trinkets for souvenirs of Paris. You get this at a lot of tourist destinations, I know, but there was quite a collection of these people all trying to foist their wares upon us. A polite refusal and we kept going and we had an enjoyable time walking through the Hall of Mirrors and various other parts of the palace 
I had to laugh to myself because a lot of the rooms hadn't got room stewards in like they do in England. Each room you go in in England has somebody there that can answer the questions, what you ask to ask about what the room was for, what certain things in the room are. But in Versailles there wasn't this attention to detail with having people there. But all the rooms had got signs in saying no photography, no cameras. <laughs> yeah. All you could see with the odd little flash of a camera and the click of camera shutters all around. But that's one of the things I suppose of how it goes. I didn't think Versailles had been very well looked after, but there again, it's such a huge place. How do you keep it clean and tidy? The thing that made me smile on the way out, we walked across the courtyard and out through the gates and into the big area where the car park and coach park was. And there were still the collection of people that had tried to sell us trinkets and models of the Eiffel Tower on the way in. Only as we walked out it had started to rain and suddenly they weren't selling models of the Eiffel Tower. They were selling umbrellas. Now I'm not a fan of these peddlers, hawkers, call them what you like, as tried to sell you things when you arrive at a tourist spot. But I had to take my hat off to the resourcefulness of what they were doing. It's raining. Dump the trinkets, get the umbrellas out, we'll sell them. Brilliant. Brilliant. I shudder to think what else they've got in the various vans or whatever they've got their equipment in. But that was a great bit of ingenuity to suddenly produce brollies when it started to rain. Still didn't buy one though. I haven't been abroad that often. I'm not a regular traveller. But a few years ago, Elaine and myself went to Egypte in Brittany, near Dinan. Lovely old town with sort of medieval and old architecture. Very much our style of place. Thoroughly enjoyed it there. Trip over to San Marlo, have a look round there. Going into the the walled town inside the main buildings. Really interesting, really unusual places. But we looked at the map and thought, yeah, for a day trip, we'll go to Mont Saint-Michel. So we chugged over there and went across the causeway and into the into the buildings, paid and went in, a winding path, 
loads and loads of steps gradually working the way up this hill because that's what it is it's a it's an island but it's a a hill with this monastery place on the top it's unusual because there's a a big slope up the one side it goes all the way up to the actual building at the top and there's a flat line down the side of it where a rope runs down to a little wheeled sledge and this is what the original clergy used to fill with goods and then haul it up this slope and into the chapel monastery at the top. A lot of hard work to do it but obviously the, the goods used to come either across the causeway at low tide or by boat at high tide, loaded into this trolley and then winched up the side of the hill. But the rest of us were working our way round the paths, up all the steps, more paths, more steps, right up to the very top of the hill where the monastery is. And just as you get to the top level, on the right hand side was a public toilet. And I saw this and I started laughing. And Elaine said, what's wrong with you? I says, well, look at the entrance to that toilet. And having toiled our way up this hill and up all the different steps and up all the different obstacles to get there, there were two steps into the public toilets. And they'd put a disabled ramp over the side of the steps for people to get over these two steps going in. <laughs> Rather pointless, because by the, by the time you got all up of that lot, you knew how to go up steps. You wouldn't get up there without. So why put a disabled ramp on the remaining two steps right at the top? There must have been a reason, I suppose. Well, our, our Springer Spaniel is now seven months old. He's coming along in many ways. He'll wait at the door now until you tell him he can go out. Similarly coming in, he'll wait until you're ready to bring him in and he'll come in on command. We've had a bit of encouragement taking him out and about in that his recall is improving. We can shout him back and just wave a bit of a biscuit and he'll come thundering back and sit and take it. He'll twist around and come to heel and sit where you want him to. <laughs> Elaine's even got him offering a paw now to shake his paw with you. Took a while but he'll does it now. He's a grand dog. The only problem is he's still 
got his own mind when it comes to walking. He sees something he wants to go to, he tries his very hardest to go to it. Puts his head down, digs his heels in and pulls and pulls. We have had a couple of sessions of one-to-one -one training with a, a dog trainer and he's not pulling quite so much now. Even when he tries to pull, he doesn't dig his heels in and really pull and really stretch. He just has a, a token gesture at pulling. Doesn't work, walk perfectly at his side, but he'll have little spells where he does. Just hold a biscuit so as he can see it. And he'll walk alongside you without pulling, without a problem. Then every so often you just give him the biscuit as a treat for being good. And he settles into that pattern then that he walks with you in the knowledge that he'll get a treat if he does. So yeah, we're getting there with him. We're getting there. I think in the end result we'll get a fairly decent dog out of him. We're hoping so, and we don't see why not. It's just taking a bit longer and a bit harder work than we thought. Having said that, my daughter will be picking one up very similar to Monty in about three weeks' time. Somebody she knew was breeding from their dog and asked Julia if she wanted one at a reduced price because they'd known her for so long. <laughs> She's wanted another dog for quite some time. It's uh, taken her a while to convince her fella that uh, they can have one and cope with one, but I think he's settled into the idea now that it'll be okay to have a go. They've got a bigger garden than we have with quite a big lawn on it, so they'll be better equipped to train and do things with their dog than we are. We have no lawn, we have no big garden. But we have trained Monty where he can and can't go within the garden and he sticks to it. 90% of the time he sticks to what he can do and where he can go. Which is good, I'm pleased with that. He has just started a bit of a mania for digging and he's decided he wanted to dig in one part of the garden where he is allowed to go, but we didn't want him to destroy it, so we've had to reshape that bit and put a bit of uh, bit of extra slabbing down so as he can't dig. It hasn't altered the shape of the garden too much and it hasn't damaged the uh, the look of the garden, but it's uh, slowed him down with what he's trying to do. He doesn't do it often, he just, when something occurs, I don't know whether it's stress or what, but something that encourages him just to have a quick dig. He's not done any damage, just made a small dint in the garden, which we've filled in and covered over. But it'd be interesting when my daughter does get a young pup, to put the two together in her garden and let them get to know each other and have a run round. 
when we first had Monty, we took him to a, a puppy socialising class. He went two or three times, but he was the smaller dog and got bullied. Got knocked about a bit by bigger, older dogs. <laughs> we tried him again with one this week. Now he's the bigger and older dog. He does some of, them, some of the bullying and some of the chasing around. But there was still apparently another dog that was tougher than Monty and started knocking Monty about. Only in a playful manner, they weren't vicious with each other. But they were just trying to prove which one was top of the top of the tree when it came to being amongst all the others. I wasn't there, I didn't see it. I've gone over to pick up a a quiz league trophy that was being engraved for us. I'd had a phone call to say it was ready. I, I dropped Elaine and Monty off and went and picked that up. League starts next week, so I've got to have everything ready. Present the trophies to the teams that won. The teams that won in 2020. Next time I present them, it'll be 2022. Because the season runs over the winter. We didn't play last winter at all. Covid, pubs are shut, one thing and another. But we're back in the swing of it and we'll see how we get on. But yes, Monty was one of the bigger dogs but there was still one that could boss him about that was more, I won't say aggressive, but more forthcoming. So yeah, things are looking up. We're trying to get things done. Done some work reshaping the garden, bought some plants. I've just got a, a rockery now to finish off. I've built the basis of it and put some rocks in. And I'd got some extra rocks off. I think I said in a previous podcast, I'd got some rocks off my son. He'd knocked down a stone wall in the front of his house that he'd moved into and I had some of the rocks. They were a bit big and I've done nothing with them for a few months. They were just laying in the garden, working out what to do. But this week I used an old stonemason's way of splitting rocks. I drilled a row of holes where I wanted it to split and then knocked some chisels in. Split in almost perfect straight lines. I can use those now in smaller chunks to put this rockery together and fill in one or two gaps in other parts of the, the garden where we've had a few rocks and give it a bit of texture I can extend some of that now yeah get all that done and then I'll start battening down for winter we've had a very very good crop of green of tomatoes a lot of them though are still green, we're not having much success ripening them off. We've got quite a tray full on the kitchen window, still ripening, they'll be brilliant. We've had some that have ripened and we've we've had. We've got some more that will ripen. But last year I, I grew just a few tomatoes and what was left at the end of the season Elaine made green tomato chutney. It was beautiful stuff, loved it. So I've got quite a crop this year. I've put some more tomato plants in. 
grew them from seed myself. So I think one or two people will probably have jars of green tomato chutney as part of their Christmas gifts from us. It won't be the only gift, we're not that mean, but we'll put a jar in just for friendship's sake. I think she'll be doing that sometime over the next couple of three days. Look forward to it, it was very nice. Well, I'm looking at the clock and time's running through. I've bored you for the best part of half an hour again. But I keep thinking of things to say. I keep looking back over the past, looking back over photos or different notes or press cuttings that I've had in different areas. And I'll come up with something different another week. So I'll leave it at that for now. If I start anything else, I'll run too far into my time. So I'll say ta for now. Talk to you again soon. Ta-da.